0: I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and we begin tonight by I want to read to you verses 2 through 10. Paul writes, now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. A number of years ago, Michelle and I were visiting another country where we were hosted by a delightful Christian gentleman. We had never met him. A friend arranged for this man to be our host, and we found him to be very kind, very gracious, very generous, very dedicated to the Lord, and certainly committed to his local church. However, as we got to know this man, we soon realized that he was obsessed, and that's not too strong of a word, obsessed with an unhealthy preoccupation with the issue of women wearing head coverings in church. He was very much in favor of this to the point that this issue consumed most of our conversation. This is really all he wanted to talk about. But what made this discussion so unusual and strange is that his wife, who was also a Christian, refused to wear a head covering when she attended church. Now, Michelle and I, we both found this quite ironic and odd, because when one examines Paul's teaching about women and head coverings in First Corinthians chapter 11, You can see that his entire emphasis is on men being in authority over women and women being in submission to men. The head covering of a woman merely being an outward symbol of her submission to her husband. Yet here was a man who though he strongly and really strongly believed that a woman should wear a head covering in church, his wife though refused to submit to him and wear one. So, sadly, both he and his wife absolutely missed the point, the primary point of Paul's teaching about women and head coverings. Now, several weeks ago, as we returned to our study of 1 Corinthians, we began to study, we began to look at what Paul had to say about this whole matter of women and head coverings. And at that time, this was a few weeks ago, I pointed out to you a few things to keep in mind that will help us in our understanding so as to interpret Paul's teaching. First of all, it's important to know that what Paul has to say in this passage only pertains to the local church's worship service, what goes on in the church when the church gathers. The apostle is not telling women or men, for that matter, what to wear or what not to wear at home, at work, or in their leisure time, just in church. So that's important to keep that in mind. That's all he's dealing with. Secondly, though some believe that Paul is laying down a divinely authoritative, timeless rule that Christian women should always wear a head covering when she comes to church, it seems preferable to understand Paul as simply acknowledging a local custom in Corinth that was being violated by some of the women of that church church. When we get to chapter 14 of First Corinthians, you'll see that there was a bit of a feminist movement going on in the church, and this is probably part of that. And the reason this seems to be the preferable view, that it was a custom and not a universal timeless rule, is because today in our modern Western culture, a woman wearing a head covering no longer makes a statement that she's in subjection to her husband. Uh, head covering on a woman in church doesn't convey the same message it did in the first century back in Corinth. So that is important. As I said, in Corinth for a woman to not have her head covered when she came to church was a sign of rebellion to her husband's authority over her. But that is not the case in our society because most people in our world have no idea that a woman's head covered or uncovered, has any type of a symbolic meaning. Theologian Simon Kiestmacher, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, wrote these helpful words. He said, cultural standards differ from country to country and change in the course of time. When we consider hairstyles and head coverings, the variations are especially striking. Hair can be either long or short, and in many cultures the covering of a head relates to religious observances, and he cites Judaism, Islam, and branches of Christianity. Paul does not intend to tell believers everywhere throughout the centuries to adopt the customs he wants the Corinthian Christians to follow. What he does stress in this segment is that in the marriage relationship, the wife honors and respects her husband, and her husband loves and leads his wife. This is the basic principle that may be applied in diverse ways in varying cultures throughout the world. The principle remains the same even though the application varies, end of quote. Now the third thing to keep in mind as we go through these verses is that while Paul is addressing the issue of the Corinthian women wearing head coverings in church, he's addressing it only in a secondary sense. You see, the greater, and folks, the primary issue in this passage that really undergirds everything else isn't whether or not a woman should have her head covered when she comes to church, but rather whether she accepts her God-ordained role of being in submission to men, first to her husband, and then to the male leaders of her church, and then dresses in a way, dresses in a way that reflects that God-ordained role of being in submission. And the way that Paul communicates this primary issue of the roles of men and women, he lays out for us several essential truths about the principle of authority and submission. We saw the first one last time we studied it, and I'll just quickly review. It's this, God has established the concept of authority and submission as a universal rule and principle. Verse 3. But I want you to understand, now now listen, let me stop here. Whenever Paul says, I want you to understand, it's because they don't understand. So this is important. I want you to get this. I want you to understand something that you're not really understanding. That Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Now the apostle begins to set forth his case for women wearing head coverings in church, By stating a timeless principle that God has established, which really permeates the entire universe, the principle of headship and subordination, meaning that somebody always has to lead and somebody always has to submit to leadership. And the way Paul explains this universal principle of authority and submission is by stating that Christ is the head of every man The man is the head of a woman, and God, meaning God the Father, is the head of Christ. And what Paul means by this is that Christ is the head of every man in the sense that Jesus is over all mankind, both believers and unbelievers, both women and men. And that man is the head of the woman, in that God designed the human race to function by men being leaders, especially in the home and in the church with women being in submission to these male leaders. And that even in the Godhead, there is the principle of authority and submission in that God, meaning God the Father, is the head of Christ. So this is what we call today the chain of command, that God has established as an eternal, universal truth and principle. There must be someone in authority and there must be someone who is in submission to that authority. This is true with Christ in relation to mankind. This is true with men in relation to women. This is even true with God the Father in relation to God the Son. Now listen closely because the reason, the reason that Paul, and you always want to find out when you're studying a passage, why would the apostle write this? What was compelling him to write this? Well, the reason that Paul stated this universal principle of authority and and subordination at the beginning of his argument is because the Corinthians were guilty of disobeying this principle. And so, as Paul continues, he reveals exactly how they were violating this principle, this timeless truth that permeates the universe. And he does this by giving us a second truth about authority and submission, that truth being this... The principle of authority and submission is to be reflected in the distinction between men and women. The principle of authority and submission is to be reflected in the distinction between men and women. Verses 4 through 6, or let me just read verse 4. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Now, having just declared that God has established this divine principle that men should be leaders and women followers, Paul now applies this principle to the Corinthians in order to show them how they're violating it. And he first begins by stating that if a man comes to church where he's involved in ministry, ministry of either praying which means, as you know, he's talking to God, that's what prayer is, or he's prophesying, which essentially means that he's preaching or he's teaching about God. If he should do either of these activities with something covering his head, then Paul says that he disgraces his head. Now, understand this. The apostle is not saying that this was actually taking place in the church at Corinth. He's just making the point that if this were to happen then those men who covered their heads in church would be disgracing their heads in the sense that they would be dishonoring Christ, who is their head, the one who made them a leader, and their role as a leader because they would be looking just like a woman. In other words, Paul is saying that for a man to cover his head would be a blurring of the genders because he would be confusing the very clear distinctions God has made between a man and a woman. Now, it may occur to some of you, as I'm saying this as you're reading this passage, it may occur to some of you that observant Jewish men always cover their heads when they are praying or they're in a synagogue or even in a sacred place. Those of you who will be going in a few months to Israel with me will see that when we get to the Western Wall, no man can approach the Western Wall without uh, having his head covered. If you didn't bring a hat, they will supply one for you. You probably have seen Orthodox Jewish men or Hasidic Jewish men wearing small dome-like skull caps, usually made of cloth, on the tops of their heads. This is known as a yarmulke. The word looks like a yarmulke, but it's pronounced yarmulke. But any head covering is considered acceptable. Because for a Jewish man to have his head covered is considered a sign of his devotion to God. So the question is, why do Jewish men cover their heads in relation to God. Why do they do this? Well, it would appear that this is a misinterpretation of a few verses in Exodus chapter 34 verses 33 to 35. Here's what we read. When Moses had finished speaking with them, that is with the people, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil, until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. At a certain point in history, the best we can estimate is probably sometime during the 4th century A.D., Some rabbis, Jewish rabbis, ancient Jewish rabbis, interpreted these verses that I've just read to you from Exodus to mean that all men should follow the example of Moses by having their heads covered when they are in the presence of God. However, as John MacArthur points out in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, this is the wrong application of these verses because Moses didn't veil his face in the presence of God, but rather only in the presence of the people. In fact, just the opposite of how the rabbis interpreted this. MacArthur writes this, as Paul explains in his next letter to Corinth, he I means 2 Corinthians. Moses used to put a veil over his face that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away. That's Second Corinthians 3, verse 13. He did not want them to see the glory of God, which he had received in God's presence, fading from his face. The Jewish tradition of men covering their heads to praise, therefore a human tradition, not a divine one. So, since this practice of Jewish men wearing head coverings seems to have been started centuries after the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 11, it would have been a foreign concept to the Apostle and to the world of his day, and therefore it is irrelevant to what Paul says about head coverings as a sign of submission for women in the first century. Therefore, in Paul's day, in the city of Corinth, it would have been ridiculous looking for a Christian man to come to church wearing some type of head covering that symbolized female submission to male authority, since he was in the role of authority, not submission. And that's the point that Paul is making, folks, in verse four. Men should not come to church with their heads covered, since that would be disgraceful, he means shameful, because he'd be looking and acting like a woman in the role of submission, not like a man who's been given the role of authority by God. So Paul wants the men of Corinth to come to church with their heads uncovered. However, That was not to be the case with the Christian women in the church at Corinth, as Paul states in verse 5. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Now, with these words, Paul has arrived at the crux of the particular problem that was going on in this church, and thus the reason he's even addressing this issue. He doesn't want the men to come with their heads covered, but he does want the women to come with their heads covered, and they weren't doing that. See, the problem was that some of the women in the city of Corinth who were attending this church without, they were going there without having their, their heads covered. And in doing this, Paul said that she or any woman doing this is disgracing her head, meaning that her behavior brings shame and dishonor, not only to her husband, who is her God ordained head, but to God himself, who put her husband in authority over her. And the reason the reason that this was such a problem is that since God has established the divine principle that men are in authority over women, and since the custom of that day was that an, a woman outwardly displayed her submission to her husband by wearing a head covering, then to come to church with her head uncovered while involved in the ministry of praying or some type of teaching ministry was a disgrace to her husband. It was a shameful thing to do. And it was, it was a disgraceful thing because by doing this, she was renouncing her God-given role of being in submission to her husband and she was announcing it to everybody there. In other words, by going to church with her head uncovered, she was making a loud declaration for all to hear, for all to see, that the authority that that God had given to her husband, she was now usurping it. She was now claiming it for herself. In fact, this would be such a shameful thing for her to do that Paul says, notice at the end of verse 5, that for a woman to come to church with her head uncovered, put her, he says, in the same category as the woman whose head is shaved. He says, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. So what does the Apostle Paul mean by this? Well, in Paul's day, for a woman to have her head shaved was a mark of disgrace known to all in that society. It was a disgraceful mark. And the reason it was a mark of disgrace is because women who were found guilty of committing adultery were forced by their husbands to have their hair cut off in what we would call today a buzz cut. And they did this in order to mark them out, to identify them as either immoral women or prostitutes who, of course, were immoral women. So a woman with a shaved head, so that she's essentially bald, really, was identified by her lack of hair as an immoral woman. And therefore, it was a sign of shame and disgrace. And Paul drives this point home by following up with his statement. Notice verse 6. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. In other words, Paul is saying if a woman... Refuses to cover her head while in church, then let her be consistent with her statement of insubordination to her husband by shaving off all of her hair and looking like an adulteress or prostitute. Commenting on the meaning and point of this verse, again, Simon Kiestmacher says this, he says, the emphasis in the last part of this verse is on the word disgraceful. Paul puts the wife in an uncomfortable position of having to make a choice. If she wants to go without a veil in public, let her be shaved and consort with women of disrepute. If she objects to being shorn and shaved, let her wear a veil and associate with respectful women. He writes, notice that not the husband, but the wife must make the decision. And the decision is a matter of her willingness to have a submissive relationship with her husband by ordinance of creation. Although today, in our Western culture, we no longer have a custom of covering heads, head coverings on women as a sign of submission to their husbands, it is important... To understand that what a Christian woman wears, that is to say, how she dresses, especially when she is in church, is very significant because what a woman wears reflects upon her character and reflects upon her husband. In 1st Timothy chapter 2 verse 9, Paul tells women that when they come to church, they are to dress modestly. He writes this. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. You see, ladies, how you dress says a lot about you. If you dress immodestly, exposing parts of your body that should not be exposed publicly, then you are sending a signal to all that the Bible is really not your authority, but rather the culture is because the culture says flaunt what you have. All you have to do is go to the mall and you'll see that on display. If you got it, flaunt it. So the issue then comes down to this. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your closet? Is he the Lord of the clothes you put on? Will you obey him and how you appear in public? Will you look like a godly woman who cares about modesty or will you look flirtatious and really like a prostitute. And I I say that word prostitute. I purposely mention that because Michelle and I had a very unusual experience last year. We attended an event at a church in our area where many of the young ladies, many of them, were dressed as if they were ready after the event to hit the streets as hookers. That is not an exaggeration. That is what we saw. So, while head coverings is no longer an issue in our culture, how you dress as a woman is an issue. You should be modest in your attire so that you reflect godliness and submission to your God-ordained role of being in submission to your head, your husband. Now, up to this point, Paul has presented two main points concerning the principle of authority and submission. In arguing his case, and that's what he's doing, he is arguing his case that women should wear head coverings as a sign of their submission to male leadership, Paul has stated, number one, that God has established the concept of authority and submission as a universal rule and principle. Number two, that the principle of authority and submission is to be reflected in the distinction between men and women. And now as Paul continues in verse 7, he moves on to give a third principle concerning authority and submission, which is that the principle of authority and submission is based upon creation. Upon creation. Notice what he writes in verse 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now in this statement Paul is explaining Why it was so important for the men of Corinth to not wear head coverings and for the women of Corinth to wear head coverings. And you can see that he is explaining this because he begins his statement with the word for, indicating Paul's rationale for what he's just said. And his rationale is that the principle of men being in authority over women and women being in submission to men is based on the story of God's creation in the early chapters of the book of Genesis you see although the wearing of a head covering was a local custom in Corinth which like any custom can change in time the principle of male authority and female submission it's not a custom It's not subject to change, but rather it's a matter of God's order of creation, which is timeless and binding for all cultures. And that's why Paul says, and I'll read it again in verse 7, for a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now Paul says that the reason that men should not have Their heads covered is because man was created in the image and glory of God. While women, he says, a woman is the glory of man. Now, this needs some explanation, lest we misunderstand something very important. According to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God created both Adam, man, and Eve, woman, in his image. We read this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. To be created in God's image means that like God, both men and women possess intellect, will, emotion, knowledge, and righteousness that reflects the likeness of God. In the fall, that image is tainted, but it's still there. So both man and woman were created by God to bear his image. However, the point that Paul is making here in 1 Corinthians eleven seven 7, is that only Adam, meaning only man, was created to be the glory of God in the sense that he alone, man alone, was given the authority and dominion to rule over God's creation and therefore to reflect God's authority. And that's precisely why Paul ends this verse by saying, but the woman is the glory of man. By which he means that Eve being made from Adam was to reflect his glory. In other words, to man was given the unique role of reflecting God's glory of authority in ruling over his world. While Eve was given the unique role of reflecting her husband's glory of his God-given authority. This is not the easiest concept to grasp, especially since it is completely contrary to the thinking of our world. So here's a quote from one scholar that should help you to understand what Paul is actually saying. He said, Woman was made to manifest man's authority and will as man was made to manifest God's authority and will. The woman is vice-regent, who rules in the stead of man or who carries out man's will just as man is God's vice regent who rules in his stead or carries out his will. The woman shines not so much with the direct light of God as with the derived light from man. Man is both the image and glory of God while woman is only the image of God and not the image of man and the glory of man not the glory of God the point is that man shows how magnificent a creature God can create from himself while woman shows how magnificent a creature God can make from a man now Paul's purpose in stating that man is to reflect God's glory as a ruler, as a leader, is to make the point that if man has been given the role of authority, then he certainly should not wear a head covering in a church that's a symbol of female submission. That would be ridiculous. To support his argument that man was created to be in authority and the woman was created to be in submission to man's authority, Paul refers to the order of creation from Genesis in the next two verses, verses 8 and 9. For the man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Now, referring back to the Genesis account of creation, which is what Paul is doing here, the apostle reminds us that Adam was created by God first, and then Eve was created from Adam. The biblical text of Genesis 2, verses 21 through 23, stating this, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep, to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is the account of Eve being created from Adam. But the biblical reason that Eve was created, as, as Paul puts it, is for the man's sake. That's exactly what Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 states. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. In other words, Eve was created to be Adam's companion and his helper. She was to help him in his role as ruler over God's creation, not to usurp that role herself. His role was to be her leader. Her role was to, was to submit to his leadership. Listen, though most people today would laugh, mock, scorn, and reject what the Bible says, about man being created as the gender and authority and and woman being created as the gender and submission to man's authority. Though they would reject this, laugh at it, they're absolutely wrong in their rejection. And by their rejection, they reveal how much their minds have been polluted by sin so that they can't even think clearly. Remember, some of the same people who would mock these truths about the roles of men and women in a biblical perspective, they don't even believe there's a difference in the biological makeup of men and women. That's how insane the thinking is. What Paul said in Romans chapter 1 certainly applies, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, the point that the apostle is making then in directing us back to Genesis is, is that what he is teaching about women wearing head coverings as a symbol of their role of submission is based based on the order of creation. And having made this point, Paul is now ready to apply even more of this truth as to why it was so important for the women in Corinth to wear head coverings. Notice verse 10. Therefore... The women ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now the word therefore at the beginning of this sentence, it tells us that Paul is making a point of application. This is where the teaching from Genesis on the order of creation leads him. This is his conclusion based on the order of creation. And his conclusion is that in light of what Genesis teaches about man being created to lead and woman being created to be in submission to man, then she should wear a head covering in church. Now, the way Paul puts this, though, calling the head covering a symbol of authority has puzzled many people over the years. If you read commentaries on this, you'll, you'll see that they Not quite sure what to make of this because his argument, remember, all along has been that her head covering is a symbol of submission, not a symbol of authority. It's the husband who has the authority. So what is he talking about now having a symbol of authority on her head? How do we explain this? Well, the best explanation of what Paul is saying is that by wearing a head covering, note this, she now has the authority, meaning she has the right to pray and teach when she comes to church. You'll recall that was the whole issue back in verse 5 when Paul said, and I quote again, verse 5, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. But now, what Paul is saying, if she wears a head covering in church, which symbolizes her submission to her husband and the men who lead her church, then she has the right, she has the authority now to pray and to teach. In other words, her head covering gives her the authority to pray and teach in church. Otherwise, she does not have this authority. And having said this, Paul ends verse 10 by saying that a woman is to wear a head covering in church because of the angels. And you're probably thinking, what? What does Paul mean by this? What in the world do angels have to do with women and head coverings and And all of this, his argument. Well, holy angels, the ones who did not follow Satan in his rebellion, they are the most submissive of all of God's creatures. They are totally and perfectly subordinate to God's authority. And these holy angels are watching us because as the writer to the Hebrews puts it in chapter 1 of his letter, he says that angels are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. That is to say, angels watch us and they serve us even though we can't see them. They are unseen in the spirit world, but they're watching us and they're serving us, and we don't always know when that is happening. Therefore, in light of the fact that these most submissive of all creatures are watching and observing us, Paul says that it would be offensive insulting to angels for Christian women to not demonstrate their submission by wearing a head covering. It would be insulting to them. They are the epitome of submission. And for a Christian woman to not have a symbol of submission and not to submit to her husband, that's unheard of from their perspective. They would be insulted. They would be offended by this. So Paul says that women, when you come to church, have your head covered. Have a symbol of of submission so that you don't insult these holy beings. So ladies, although wearing a head covering in church today, as I said, it's not required of you. If you wanna do that, that's fine, but it's not required of you. Being in submission to your husband, though, is a biblical requirement and it is a big deal. That's not an option. It's a big deal because submission is God's created role for you. So, you would be dishonoring God, you would be dishonoring your husband if you were not in submission to your husband. It's a big deal because a lack of submission would be disgraceful for you as it would identify you as a woman of loose morals and bring shame not only to you but to your husband. And it's a big deal because angels are watching you to see your submission and if you don't submit and demonstrate submission they are indeed insulted. Now the key to all that the apostle has taught in these verses. In fact, the key to everything in the Christian life boils down to this for both men and women, to make sure our hearts are right with God, to make sure that we're in submission to what God says, meaning that we're in submission to his word. So when you hear this teaching, you don't rebel against it. You submit, you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do what the word of God says. That's what it always comes down to. And if you're not a believer, then I exhort you to do the most important thing in life, and that is to submit yourself to Jesus Christ by trusting him for your salvation. Trusting him for your salvation. So I hope that you will take heed to these things, these truths. These are not easy to mine out. They're not easy to absorb for us, but this is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you because all scripture is God-breathed and it is profitable for us. So I pray, Lord, that you help all of us to see these truths, especially the women of our church, Lord, to see that how they dress is important, that it is critical that they submit to their husbands, whether they wear head coverings or not. I pray, Lord, that these truths would be just digested by us and would um, really result in godly behavior and I pray Lord for anybody here who has never trusted Christ that they will indeed submit to him submit to his authority to come to the cross bow at the cross and receive your mercy and salvation we pray all of this Lord in Jesus name amen